And is that better? Sounds better for me too. Okay, great. So this past uh, three or four weeks, what we've been doing all throughout the month of April, we've been exploring vision together. And uh, we have been thinking a little bit more uh, about uh, what motivates and inspires us, uh, what direction we're headed in. Uh, and uh, we're going to be picking, like I've said a number of times, this is a process we're starting now, but we're going to be picking it up again in the autumn to kind of wade into the, uh, the, the language and uh, the themes and the uh, imagery that we're going to be using uh, as we kind of look to kind of flesh out our detail in, in, in our vision in more detail. Uh, this month uh, really has been about making space uh, for, uh, for us to hear from God so that we're clearer about who we are, uh, clearer about where we've come from, uh, what we feel that we've inherited, uh, what we've been called to safeguard. And uh, in light of all of that, what it means for us uh, to think creatively about the direction we're headed in. Is this working now? No, it is. Oh, it is. Uh, um, so these are the texts that we've been using. Uh, Joshua 1, Matthew chapter 28, and, and then more recently, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 9, and then more recently last Sunday, we looked together at Matthew chapter 28 and John 20. And I, I suppose one of the things that I wanted to tease out today in just providing a little bit of a recap for us um, is while all of these texts, they are quite different from one another, uh, there is a key that they share which is essentially that each of these passages captures uh, for us uh, uh, a moment in the life of a community uh, who were on the cusp of something new. So in Joshua chapter 1, we thought about uh, and learned together about this community that were being invited by God to leave everything that they knew and to cross over into new land that God was giving them. And I suppose with that, we were exploring the idea that we're not just dealing with ideas here. We're dealing with actual real life steps in response to something that God asks and calls us to imagine. In Matthew uh, chapter 9, while the setting is different, the challenge is the same. Uh, This new community, they were sharing life, doing life with Jesus as he uh, announced and demonstrated the kingdom of God. And his call to them as a community at that point was to root themselves in prayer. Uh, not prayer in the transactional sense. We were exploring that, kind of trying to put the right, ask for the right things uh, uh, in the right way from the great big kind of m- mystic uh, vending machine in the sky, hoping that we get what we want here uh, on earth. But prayer in the sense of what it means to be rooted in love. The call of Jesus into love and in that place, out from that place, to join in with his love for all creation. A lot of what we sang already this morning uh, helped us to celebrate that truth and that reality. And then in Matthew chapter 28 and John chapter 20, again in the same way, this new community that Jesus called into being was again on the cusp of something new. They were being called. They were having to imagine what it meant to live together in community in the power of the Spirit, animated by this Holy Spirit, centered on Jesus, but without him. 
because he had gone to be with the Father. So they're learning to live in the power of the Spirit and to build community where there's room for other people. And that was, uh, that was uh, great to be able to look and think about that together last week. But I suppose in all of that, with the Joshua 1 chapter, uh, uh, Matthew 28, uh, Matthew 9 and John 20, I suppose I've been using all of that imagery, all of that language, because I fundamentally believe that we are similarly a community that's on the cusp of something new. We are not, not only in, within these four walls is God uh, challenging us and teaching us and, and calling us into something new, but actually within this act, the, the geography where we're placed, Dublin 8 is going through radical change and transformation. There's going to be millions and millions of euros being invested in this area. The redevelopment of um, the James's Gate Quarter, the John Players Factory. Uh, I, I was at. I, I, I've mentioned this a couple of times. I was at a um, a local business leaders investment meeting just a couple of months ago, and within w- within the next two to four years, we're going to be within walking distance, striking distance of four and a half thousand students. There's going to be hundreds and thousands of people moving into this area. And uh, I fundamentally believe that we're called as a church to play a role in what God's doing in our community. And uh, I'm excited that we are in a position where we can begin the process of thinking about that and talking about that. But I suppose the backdrop to all of that is that it's not just something we're thinking about so that in response to all of the change, both within the church and outside of the church, outside of these walls in this community. And we are all, I believe that the way we're called to engage and respond is to take real life steps. It's not just reaching people's heads with new ideas, but it's being willing to, open to, to embody in our life as a community some of the change that we believe, some of the things that we believe God is asking of us. So these are the, this is the, these are the things that I suppose that we, I, I, I believe that we are called to recover as a community. We're called to recover the place of prayer. We're called to recover community. Two of the fundamental building blocks that I believe that we are really called uh, to recover and to establish, re-establish in the life of our church are these two areas. We're called to pray. And that was what one of, that's what we explored in Matthew chapter 9. Of all the different things that Jesus could have asked them to, to do, to say, he says, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest to send more workers out into his fields. He's in charge. They're his fields. So we're excited to think that God is at work in our community. God is at work within these four walls, in in, in us as a family. And that he is, he's doing something new with us. And we just want to say yes to it and to join in. So to celebrate, forgive me, this is just a recap, I suppose, of some of the other things that we've been talking about, pointing to over the last couple of weeks. But to celebrate our 250th anniversary of this building, um, we haven't been going that long. Maybe for some of you it feels like it. Um, But to celebrate our 250th anniversary of this building, we are going to call uh, 2019 a year of prayer. So from the 1st of January 
to the 31st of December in 2019, we're going to pray. That's going to be one of the most, one of the most central things that we'll be doing in the life of the church. It's going to involve a variety of different things. We're going to change this physical space. We're going to develop the balcony, make it a, a central prayer space where we'll have prayer throughout the week. And we're going to try to find some artists to help us. I don't know. Do We've always wanted to do something like that with that back wall because you don't see it as often as I do. <laughs> I, just, I see it all the time. But um, I'd love that to be full of color and life and um, maybe even some script that have always been kind of central uh, for us as a community. Uh, so we're hoping to develop that. And uh, we're going to need to put some time and effort and thought into rearranging our, our own diaries, as well as the diary of the, of the church, to, to create space and time to nurture prayer and uh, intimacy with God. We'll be dedicating that balcony space. We're going to be teaching on and modeling prayer in different ways. On Sundays as we gather here, we're going to be hosting prayer walks, prayer conferences. We're going to be doing the prayer course uh, developed by 24-7 Prayer. And we're going to be doing all that we can to learn as much as possible about prayer and what it looks like to practice that more centrally as a community. And uh, in, in all of that, as our boldness and our focus increases, uh, we'll start to get a sense for where God is calling us to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom in community, in the power of the Spirit, like we read and thought about from Matthew chapter 9. And I suppose, uh, you know, this is something, again, a conversation we've been having on and off now for the last 14 months. But fundamentally, connect groups are going to be the ways that we're going to facilitate that in our engagement as a wider community in what it means to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom in community, in the power of the Spirit. So that the, the backdrop here as we think about community together, what it means to recover uh, uh, community and practice community is, you know, what connect group are you a part of? If you're not already a part of a connect group, I want to encourage you to do that. But connect groups are the place that we can explore what it means to be animated by the Spirit, to live incarnationally in the power of the Spirit. Uh, connect groups are the place that we pilot new ways of exploring community, wherever that is, finding out where God is, is sending us uh, in fa- as family. They, they are the people that we're committed to following Jesus with. And they are key to our growth and development as a church. Which brings us to today, to uh, gift day, and what it means for us to give towards the real life physical steps uh, that we've been thinking and talking about this month. Johnny is going to come out for us and do a short presentation on uh, some of the financial pieces within the life of the church that he um, presented at AGM, and I've asked him to do the same today. Cool. Thanks, Owen. That one? Okay, cool. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know me, I'm Johnny. I'm the, I serve as the treasurer in this church, and... As Owen said, we had the AGM Monday just gone, um, and I delivered the financial report, which is a series of very colourful slides. Um, I think that tends to go down a bit better than reams of numbers. Um, so Owen just wanted me to share with you the kind of the three or four of the of the key ones, just so you understand where the church is kind of financially. Oh, that wasn't good. Okay, so just to give you some context and how the church has kind of grown over the last five years, this is our headcount. So every 
Every week we take uh, an inventory of how many people are in the building. Um, that's done by the warden, which today happens to be me as well. Um, we have 225 people in the church today. Um, so go back to 2013, uh, we're around 140, 160 on average. Um, and fast forward to kind of 2016 onwards, we're anywhere between 200 and 250 depending on the season. And by that I mean the reason there's that kind of shark tooth pattern. Um, every third quarter we, um, we all go on holiday, or some of us go on holiday, so um, th- that's the pattern. But we're kind of consistently in, the, in that range. And over the last five years, that's kind of 50% growth. So you'd expect to see the same in terms of money, uh, you know, the size of income and expenditure. And you may not be able to see all of the colours and all the numbers, but I'll just kind of tell you the, uh, the key things here. So this is where our money came from over the last three years. Um, the blue stacks at the bottom, which is about 50% of our income, is what you very kindly give us on a, on a regular basis. So that's our, um, our Sunday offerings, our standing orders, and our envelope scheme. And I think there's probably two key takeaways from this slide. Number one is, is that a lot of money comes from things other than that, uh, including gift day, and I'll come back to that in, a, in another slide. Um, the main thing, and it's come out green, I hope, uh, on that slide, is um, that if you give in a traceable way to you as a taxpayer um, and you fill in the relevant forms, uh, we could, for every euro that, that you give, we can claim another 30 cent back in tax, which is, you know, everyone's a winner there. Um, so that's why we encourage kind of traceable, regular giving. Um, this is where our money went, and I'm not sure the slides have kind of come out in the same colour as my, my printouts. Um, the main part is 50-60%, which is the kind of the bottom of those stacks, is, um, is our staff cost. So that's all our ministries, all the, all the activities you see, everything on a Sunday, but also through the week, um, children's ministry, music, um, all the office administration, uh, that's what it looks like. And I think the other takeaway from this slide is that red slice at the top, which is our kind of, we call it our tithing or our giving. But this is gift day. We're a giving church. We're not looking to just to receive. So every year we try and give 10% or so of our um, regular unrestricted income to um, local, national and international organizations who spread the good news. Uh, obviously, we look, at, look for organizations that align with our kind of vision and values as well, but I just think that's an important thing for everyone to be aware of. So the last one, bringing those two things together. So this is the last five years of income and expenditure. So for each year, the right-hand column, which I think is coming out as grey, is, is the expenditure, and then the, the uh, stack on the left is the income. And you'll see... The blue is regular giving and charity tax refunds and so on, but the red is um, things like gift day. So the kind of the takeaway here is how important gift day is to our finances uh, in terms of growing the church um, and running all of our ministries. Um, I think that's it. So if anyone has any questions finance-wise, then please find me after after the service. Thank you. Try to steal my notes again. Um, 
just a huge thank you to Johnny and David Ebbs is here this morning as well. All the huge amount of time, energy and effort that, that they put into helping us take all of the different steps that we're taking in terms of our finances. Um, they, they do it all on a voluntary basis. Uh, so, Johnny, thank you. I really appreciate everything that you do. Um, just want to move on. and If you've got a Bible, I'd like you to open up to Matthew 14. Uh, Helen's going to come and read it for us. Uh, if you read your Bible on your phone, feel free to take your phone out. I'm reading from Helen's going to be reading from uh, the New Living Translation. Thank you so much. So it's Matthew 14, and it's verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake, while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy seas. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Why don't you just stay in that space? If you've got the text open in front of you or on your phone, just just keep casting your eye over it to see if there's a phrase or a word that stands out. Maybe some, maybe you're very familiar with this passage. Maybe it's the first time you've read it in quite a while. But why don't you just just throw your eye over it again? Just keep 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 looking at it. See what stands out. What words and phrases are jumping off the page at you? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it's like food. Uh, It gives us wisdom where we need it, courage where we lack it, direction where we most need to hear what the right next step for us is. We ask, Lord, as we just reflect on these words for the next couple of minutes, we pray that you give us all that we need. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, I don't know how used you are to church life and the types of texts that pastors normally kind of go to on Giving Sunday. Let me start by saying Matthew 14 is not one of the passages most uh, pastors speak about. And I've told the Lord that 
countless times this week and asked for another opportunity to maybe use a different passage. But no, uh, I, I feel like I've got to go with this text because I feel like it's the one to put alongside of the Joshua 1 and the Matthew 9 and uh, the Matthew 28 and John 20 text. I think it kind of helps to kind of streamline the whole thing. And um, I, I'm, I'm going to need wisdom as we do it because often in the past I've you know, spoken to people about what they feel about this passage and it often comes with this, well, you know, just get out of the boat, you know, just like this kind of, just get on with it. And I've always slightly, that's always hurt, slightly hurt my feelings and, and often frustrated uh, quite a few other people that I've spoken to about it. So I, I have a love-hate relationship with this passage because it's not just because of what it says, but the challenge it brings and how people have maybe even misused it. So I want to bring it to you humbly uh, and, and, and I hope it will help us um, This is the text that has come to me as I've prayed and prepared. And there's all kind of interesting aspects to it. It is, uh, as I see it, quite a crossroads text. It's full of all kinds of different aspects. But to summarize, really fundamentally, uh, on the one hand, it challenges and it speaks at a molecular level as we imagine the real-life steps of Jesus on water. This is a supernatural event. It's beyond scientific understanding and the laws of nature. And as my research has told me this week, hydrogen bonds kinetic energy and surface tension. All of these things that are, that are real things that actually if something more dense puts its foot or whatever into the water and breaks that surface tension, you go into the water. But that's not what happens here. And, and with that, out from that, the text speaks to us and challenges us at a faith level as we imagine together the real-life physical steps that Peter takes, overcoming his fear, stepping out of the boat and walking on the water to Jesus. So we have these real-life steps, either way, whichever way we look at it, that Jesus is taking from the water's edge out to the community that he loves and has been doing life with and has been uh, teaching and training and equipping and raising up. And then the, the real life steps of one of those community stepping out of a boat onto water and walking out to be with Jesus, out where he was. It's pretty huge stuff. It's pretty big. But either way, we're faced with real life steps. Faith being worked out. The bottom line, and if there's just one thing that you take away from this morning, let it be this. This is the life the church is called to live. It's always, always, whatever way we dress it up, split hairs, and wish it was a little bit less offensive, it's always going to involve going to where Jesus is. The life that he calls us to live. 
is always going to be to join Jesus out where he is. That's the season we're in. That's what God's calling us to do afresh. To go and join Jesus where he is. It's not easy. I, I, I had lunch with a business leader in the community. Kind of gave him my spiel. Explained what we're doing. He was thinking, you are. Now I can't say exactly what he said to me. He said, you are crazy. I like you. But you're mad. Why would you believe that? Why do you want to gather people together in community? Why do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? Why? Why would you do that? I was like, yeah, I know. It doesn't make much sense to you right now. That's fine. And of course then, it it, it would follow. It would seem the natural flow in the conversation is that the Bible is just rubbish. Well, of course, if you don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that we are who Jesus says we are, of course the Bible's not going to be authoritative for your life. And what the Bible says about everything from justice, human sexuality and everything, it's going to seem totally irrelevant. But the call to come and die is about as attractive today as it was thousands of years, years ago when Jesus said, come follow me. Put me at the center. The call that's on our lives is to get out and to go and to join Jesus where he is. To join in with what Jesus is doing there. That's the gospel. And it's, it's out there, it's where we're not strong. Out there, it's where we're not in control. Out there is where it seems totally crazy to society and culture. It doesn't make sense. Hydrogen bombs, kinetic energy, surface tension. It just seems mad. What did we sing earlier on? I believe in the resurrection. Jesus wasn't just some popular guy, charismatic leader who had one cracking sermon on a mountain. He is God. He died. But he was raised again. And that's not even the end of the story because he's coming back. And he's going to put right, he's going to redeem, restore Everything that he started, God finishes what he starts. Isn't that good news? The challenge is that he uses you to finish what he starts. He uses me with all of our questions and our doubts and our propensity to wander, all those kinds of things. It's going to take risk. Think about Matthew 28, John chapter 20. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it starts with, Well, when they saw Jesus, some of them worshipped, others doubted. John chapter 20, that famous time, that that famous text where Jesus breathes on them, that new creation life, it says they they were actually hiding because they were afraid of what was going to happen to them for following Jesus, for looking foolish. 
Ever been a, anyone ever been afraid of looking foolish for being a Christian? Well, I have. Just me and Jerry. We can pray for each other later. The bottom line, folks, is that we are called to join Jesus where he is and to do the things that he's doing with him in the power of the Spirit as family. I just love what Jesus says to Peter. Yes, come. He doesn't use it as a teaching moment. He's like, oh, I know where this is going. Peter again. By the way, you know, you denied me. That's just not what Jesus is like. If you're here today and you're on the fence around faith, if you're here today and you're wondering if God is real or what God's, what's God like, this is the perfect place to start because it's the perfect summary of, of who God is and ultimately what the heart of the gospel is. The gospel is, yes, come. The church, the, the community of God, the people of God, our core narrative to the world should be, yes, come. And he's whispering them to us as a community in this season again, in a fresh way. St. Catherine's, yes, come. Come where? Well, out to where he is. Yes, to what? To doing the things that he's doing with him as family in the power of the Spirit. We're called to get out of the boat and to join Jesus where he is in what he's doing. And it's going to involve real life physical steps. Steps of trust. Steps of obedience. And steps of sacrifice. I don't know if you've heard of the very famous author, author C.S. Lewis. And one of the things he famously said, the kingdom of self is a heavily defended territory. But following Jesus with our lives is about not him being on the periphery, but it's about him being at the center and the heart of it all. And it's going to touch every part of our lives, including our wallets and our purses and our bank balances. And in a sense, that's what Gift Day is all about. Yes, it's about helping us to make ends meet and to meet the practical needs of the church, of which there are many. But with that, it's sowing into this faith space to enable us to get out, to take risks, and to go where Jesus is, to do the things that Jesus is doing with him. It's sowing generously and courageously in a way that will enable us to do that 
to do more than just make ends meet. So what might that mean for you? Sharon is going to come and... Sharon, there you are. She's going to come and lead us through uh, or just explain to you some of the paperwork that you have on your seats uh, in just a moment. But I suppose the one thing that I want to clarify for us, and some people I I think feel that we don't speak enough about money in St. Catharines, and some people feel that once a year is just about all that we can handle for right now. I don't know where you sit in that spectrum. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I can see with the amount of people breaking eye contact with me now. No, I'm joking. But it's not an easy thing to talk about. It's not an easy thing to hear having spoken. And we don't want to apply pressure or to manipulate in any way. But here's a thought as you think and pray and reflect When it comes to reviewing your giving today, however you're choosing to do that, whether it results in a change of 10 euros a month or 10,000 euros, the thing to remember that when it comes to generosity in the kingdom of God, it's about attitude, not amount. Because I believe fundamentally that when God has our hearts, our bank balances are his too. And I don't want that to be misunderstood or to be taken a different way. It's just that there's a connection. That's the point I'm trying to make. Sharon, 